Welcome to Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, corporate beliefs, and ESG, brought to you by Baker. In every episode, we'll investigate how purpose, vision, and values can guide your company's sustainability actions, behaviors, and mindsets. And we'll discuss their impact with the help of ESG-focused guests from around the globe. I'm your host, Rocket. And I'm your host, Gary. Let's get started. Today, we are speaking with Ted Dillon on Sustainable Minds. Welcome, Ted. Thank uh, you for having me, Gary and Roxanne. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Let me give a little background for our listeners. Ted is the co-founder and CEO of FigBytes, which he founded in 2013. FigBytes is an ESG insight platform that allows customers to quantify the sustainability impacts and embed social and environmental metrics into the financial reporting, strategy, brand, and performance. We're going to talk about that. I'm really interested in that. Ted is currently a board member of World Oceans Day since 2011. Prior to founding FigBytes, he was the director of green IT at Branham Group Technology Industry Analyst and Strategic Advisory Company, servicing global information and communications technology industry. In January 2004 to September 2011, Ted was a consultant of political and economical risk at Exclusive Analysis, but that was acquired by IHS and then by S&P Global, the specialist intelligence company that forecasts commercially relevant, political, violent, sovereign, banking, and investment risks worldwide. They're busy these days. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. I understand you started your career in the Indian Army, where you served for nine years. That is right, Gary. Yes. You have a master's degree in business administration from Ivy Business School at Western University, a certificate in AI from MIT Sloan School of Management, and a diploma in environmental management from the University of Toronto. That is correct. Yes. Ted, welcome to Sustainable Minds. Thank you so much, Gary. Pleasure to be here, like I said. I'm just amazed to be in the company of two people who spent so many decades in the sustainability journey and, and seen this entire thing change. Yeah, yeah. It's only been a few years, but that's okay. I'd like to ask this question. It's a little personal, but uh, it kind of it's going to lead me into how you arrived here. But when you were young, before the world told you what to do, or maybe your parents told you what to do, what did you like doing as a little kid? And or what did you dream of? I always dreamt of being in uniform. I'm a third generation military guy. My sisters are married into military families. My uncles, aunts, everybody around me was in uniform. And back in the Indian subcontinent, it's a sought after profession. There was a lot of history. So I just gravitated towards that. I was sent to a boarding school, a military boarding school when I was nine years old. And I never thought of anything else. I wanted to wear the uniform. I wanted to go to war. It was sort of a romantic notion at that point. It no longer is. I have a very different view of that. <laughs> but that's how I grew up. And that was the environment I grew up in. And before I realized, I had already done 10 years in the Indian Army, carried rifles up mountains and done things that Army officers do, been on staff, been in logistics operations, all of that before I started to realize perhaps there's something else 
and something is missing. You know, I was exposed to the high Himalayas. I was in the deserts in India. I had seen things change dramatically on the environment. The boarding school that I refer to is on the foothills of the Himalayas. I went back for school reunions year after year, and I could see forests being cut down, the weather changing. And then if you grow up in a country like India, some of those realities are very stark, like the watersheds literally drying out. The part of India that I was born in is the Punjab, which is considered the breadbasket of the country. But you have to go down like 300 or 400 feet now to find water. All of those things stuck with me. And then I moved on to do a short stint with the UN, with the Joint Logistics Center. And I was exposed to you know, humanitarian crisis operations, relief operations in, in places where my wife would say, you're in all the God-forsaken places. But unfortunately, the poorer nations seem to be hit very hard with the loss of biodiversity. And it seemed to me that things were getting out of hand. And, and I didn't know what to do about it. So fast forward from there to me coming to North America. And, and really, it was to see the world. I was like, I haven't been to North America. Let's go get some education there and see what I can do. And then I happened to fall into the technology industry and I realized how technology could fast track solutions to complex problems. That's how sort of it all came together. But going back to your question, Gary, I never started off as somebody who wanted to be in sustainability or who even wanted to do anything about it. It was not my mindset. But I think as we go through different phases in life, we are either exposed to things that change the way we think. After those experiences in the military and with the UN, I think it, the, the sort of die was set. If I would ever be satisfied doing something, it would be something in sustainability. I didn't know what. And then the carbon markets came along, the regulated carbon markets. I was just interested in how one could buy or sell hot air, literally. And then the intersection with technology of, of trying to solve that challenge, those regulated markets went away. Nothing came out of the specifications to the product that I had written up then. But it got me fair and square into this journey. And that was around 2009, 2010. And I realized the challenge was at the other end, helping organizations figure out their impacts and giving them tools that could help them move the needle in the right direction. And essentially to me, it was having a bigger impact, one company or one organization at a time. And that's what Figbytes is. That's the genesis of Figbytes. Yeah. Mm. So I'm not trying to create an infomercial here for you, but I'm really interested in what this platform does. It's a great question, Gary. Figbytes is a platform that allows customers to manage their entire sustainability journey in one place, and that is carbon and beyond. There's been a lot of focus on climate change of late, but there are other things that also need to be managed. So we not just tackle the data challenge or the data nightmare, we also move on to analytics and reporting. So that's the first piece of what we do. And then we take the next step beyond data, connect data with real-time visuals of a company's strategy. And then we take the third step around engagement and communication. So the platform itself has five solutions that one can pull out of it. There's climate accounting, there's water stewardship, there's diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's philanthropy, and then there is engagement which we believe is an absolute critical element of delivering on a good, comprehensive sustainability program. Exciting. You also talk about it helps inform strategy and brand and performance. Absolutely. If you look at the way companies approach automation of their sustainability or ESG programs, strategies are disconnected with the data. If you were to think about how we track strategy in companies, it's either through balanced scorecards or they are you know, lying in PDF documents or PowerPoint decks. And when you 
transpose that to ESG or sustainability journeys, which need a lot of engagement, it doesn't really meet the requirements. And therefore, there needs to be a bridge, even when we talk about digitalization, between the data and the strategy or the purpose of an organization. People who can see that journey, people who can see the progress that we are making against our commitments will be more engaged. And that engagement is an absolute necessity within organizations to get our employees bought into our commitments, as well as externally. We have stakeholders today in every organization, like customers and investors, that we don't control. But the narrative has to reach them. Numbers, charts, graphs, and table-based reports don't cut it, especially in a complex area like sustainability and ESG, where there's an overload of, of formulas, methodologies, KPIs. We have to cut away from the noise and engage with audiences, even our own C-level execs and board members, in ways that they understand. And that's what the strategy module within Figbytes tries to do. It elevates the conversation beyond the data, beyond the weeds, and it brings it into the boardrooms. So important. So another thing that we get involved with as a corporate brand agency, we create a story. We tell the company's story and it contextualizes their positioning, their value proposition, their promise to their customers, along with their values and their purpose and vision. So when someone reads the story that we create for them, they really feel how these things are connected and the meaning it has. And ESG sustainability reporting tends to be so data-driven. I feel it needs some contextuality in terms of story. And I don't know if you guys deal with that or how you feel about that. I'm curious. That's such a great question, Gary. We are a software shop, so we are clearly focused on the automation aspect of an ESG or sustainability journey. And when it comes to storytelling, we like to automate that as well. A great example, and I would urge the listeners to go to a URL for the state of Minnesota. The URL is sustainability.mn.gov. This is part of the state of Minnesota's effort to put the narrative and story out there for the public to see and track. We're very excited to have been part of that journey. It's a very progressive state. They have been working towards a 2027 goal, which is slightly more aggressive than 2030. They've got six key focal areas. And uh, even when we were initially engaging with them, their idea was this is not all about data. Data is good, but we also want our citizens to come along on that journey with us. We want them to see how we are performing and we want to put out the performance of every individual department out there, even if it's not good enough. I have been amazed with their commitment because having worked with lots of enterprises, the last thing I expected was that sort of transparency coming from a government organization. And here is a state that's doing it, that microsite, like we call it, is not a website. It's connected with the underlying system, which is drawing data in from 24 government departments, is then converting all of that raw data into impacts. The internal analysis and reporting is happening, but then Figbytes is also taking those results. It is allowing the departments to put their own narratives out there and the state to put out the narrative in the context of the numbers. And it's just served as such a great change tool. It started as a communication tool, but over a period of time, the visibility and the engagement with the public and the back and forth when it comes to being open to being asked questions, I mean, that has led to a tremendous improvement. 
and how the state progresses towards its goals. I think that's a blueprint for not just other states, but also countries as well as corporations. Wow. Yeah. When it's all just data, it's more, we often ask, you know, do you view ESG as risk management or do you view it as a value creation vehicle? They're using it as a value creation vehicle because they are able to touch and bring along all sorts of stakeholders. That's so different than just data. Absolutely. And you're so right there, Roxanne. To me, it's both a value creation and a risk management tool if you get ESG right. I mean, you need to have both those lenses on. And therein lies the challenge with putting together a good ESG or sustainability program. More often than not, we miss out on one lens because we get started with some very deep-rooted sort of perceptions about what it's going to look like, and we completely miss out one or the other. So you're absolutely right. It's very important to have that value creation lens on because I think that not just motivates companies or even individuals within those organizations to strive to the next level of sustainability. When we look at risk management, it does bring back one to you know the questions of risk in what context, right? And it more often than not boils down to financial risk. Everything that's risk-related at some point or the other has a relation to the financial aspects of a company. And that's, to me, has been the essence and the driver for the ESG movement so far, is that there's been a very, very sharp financial lens on it. And for good reasons, it has certainly helped bring eyeballs to it, but it also is by that very aspect and by that very nature, limited. So that leads me to, I'm a huge believer in three things. Every week I create a list, my to-do list, but what are the top three things that I must do? So forgive me, but I, I always set things up today like this. So tell me, what are the three goals companies need to set to have an effective ESG strategy? We were just talking about the end part, the communications or the story or the data, but what's up front in terms of that ESG strategy? Very interesting question because that obviously varies based on the vertical the company is in, the business they're in. But broadly, if I was to advise somebody who was starting off on their ESG journey, I would say be practical. I mean, that is the first piece. Any ESG strategy has to be practical. We have experienced it over the last 10 years. We talked about greenwashing and purpose washing. That is actually a consequence of not being practical and overshooting. Greenwashing is, to me, commitments that have been made without enough action and execution behind it. Even the net zero movement, we've seen so many commitments to net zero, but not enough line of sight to the next three years or the next five years, and companies are already falling short there. So therefore, be practical. It is really critical, especially in the day and age we are today, because we have spent all of the equity we had with the planet. We are already past the tipping point, And therefore, all of us have a responsibility to put out practical targets and make sure we hit them and achieve them. Those small wins will mean that we're moving in the right direction. So that is the first part. The second part that I would always suggest to them is be data-driven. There is so much data in this space and decision-making is just impossible without the data. This is probably a unique challenge for companies because every function within a company has a sustainability or an ESG impact. 
And therefore, there's multiple owners of that data, which is actually the reason why it's fragmented and we have data gaps. And then there are shortcuts taken to cover those data gaps. So the data challenge is very, very important to solve. It is painful, but if companies invest in that as part of their ESG program and they do it well, the decision-making that comes out of it at the end is tremendous. I mean, it gives you the right insights and it informs the right kind of programs. And then the third thing is take your people along. And when I say your people, referring to stakeholders that are both internal and external, because this is something that needs to be done with everybody on board. The employees have to be on board. They have to buy into the commitments of a company. We are clearly going into a stage where the millennials are going to be the decision makers of tomorrow and companies have to walk the talk. Otherwise, they won't find people to work for them. It's already there. We employ a number of young people and I'm just amazed at how astute they are when it comes to the understanding of sustainability and also perhaps certain ESG elements when it comes to the reporting movement. But we have to take them along. We have to take the communities that we are doing business in where we have an impact. We have to take them along. They have to be key um, elements of our ESG program. So the point I'm trying to make here is if an ESG program is comprehensive from the get-go, it has a far higher chance of succeeding. Yes. You mentioned purpose washing, and uh, we were talking about that. And when the purpose is real, when it's authentic, where it really comes from within, I call it heart and soul. It doesn't come from the brain. This is what we think that our purpose is, but this is what we really feel our purpose is. Also, part of this corporate brand is your values and what are your real principles and how do those guide your behaviors, your actions, your decisions, and your mindsets. So you talked about getting employees involved, and we've seen a lot where companies that really live these values and these behaviors and these actions have a great advantage in many, many areas. Do you see in your business a correlation where a company that is has a strong culture as Roxanne was mentioning earlier, that's very values-driven. What's the correlation with the engaging employee stakeholders and executing their plan? That's such a great question, Gary. Culture is critical to any company's success today. And why just any company? I think any organization anywhere. My background in the military has taught me that. You really live, work, and fight for or the person next to you. It's really got to be that, and they have to be able to implicitly trust you. And when you get your entire team on that wavelength where, one, they can implicitly trust you to do the right thing, they will go over and above the call of duty to deliver. It's the same in any organization. You can take that paradigm and apply it to a corporation. Companies who have done that well, leaders who have been able to set the tone and been able to build an environment and a culture where individuals feel valued. They can push their boundaries. There is no fear of failure. We don't want them to fail every time, but can they push their boundaries and try different things? You'll find just by doing that, those companies become more innovative and, and it's directly related to culture. I think it's really important to find those values and then walk the talk. Employees today, and I suppose even earlier, can see through, for lack of a better word, bullshit. It's very easy to do that. It's the same way we would look through purpose washing or green washing. It's very easy to see through that. And I don't think 
the workers of today and the millennials of tomorrow who are going to be leaders are going to stick on with companies like that. So companies have to evolve. They have to walk the talk. Values have to be absolutely clear. And that's a stake in the ground for companies. That's a line that doesn't shift. And that has to drive the moral compass. And when it comes to sustainability or ESG programs, that is also part of what they should be looking at. How do we create a program that aligns with our purpose, with our vision? Because at some point, we have to get beyond reporting and capturing numbers for numbers' sakes. It is clear we've been doing that for several years, and we are now behind in the race. I mean, look at the news that's coming out on climate change and how far behind we are in that challenge or in that fight. And therefore, we need to get our heads out of just capturing data for data's purposes and reporting for reporting purposes. There's way more to putting these programs together. Values and purpose and vision have to be absolutely implicit in that program. I sort of sometimes I'm interested in how you engage the board with your product at Big Bites because it, to me, so important, but the oversight, there's such a big push from oversight from the board, but sometimes they're the people who know the least about sustainability. I mean, they're brilliant business people, but how can you educate them so they can really be oversight? It's sort of a conundrum a little bit, I feel. And so, but at the same time, I see that it's got to be a cross fit of the entire organization and company. So I was just wondering how you could facilitate that role that they want the board members to play. Another great question. I'm starting to see a transition in how board members understand this. You know, to start with, it's probably not even an automation question. It's really educating the board members to understand these topics of ESG and sustainability, how they are either value creation tools or a risk management approach. And then it has to be culled down into the operations that a company is engaged in. So education is critical, and that's where we have to get board members who either understand those nuances or make sure we contribute to that training and education. And there's lots of great organizations today who are engaged in making sure the board members get educated on the topics of not just today, but also the regulatory challenges that are coming in. I mean, it is their fiduciary responsibility to manage those risks for an organization and lay out the direction. So that obviously can happen outside of the software. When it comes to simplifying the conversation, that's where Figbyte steps in. As I mentioned, we've got tools that allow for narratives around the numbers, as well as for connecting it with the strategy. So CEOs and board members can see in real time whether they are on track or falling short and corrections can be made on the spot. Those are the tools we bring in along with the microsites that I mentioned, which allow for narratives around the numbers. And that starts to present the numbers and the methodologies and the formulas in a way that people understand it. I mean, it really simplifies the complexity of ESG and sustainability. That's how we engage board members on the platform. And then, of course, there are things that companies can do outside of that. And I believe every CEO should be pushing the agenda with the board members, be that with internal training or external training and sensitizing them to how important these issues are. I mean, going forward, this is going to be one of the key success factors for organizations. 
I agree. I'm going to shift a little bit to some environment kind of questions of the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act. What are the ways that will help promote climate action? So I think the Reduction Act has has really set the ball in motion. To me, what it's done is it's sort of insulated the movement on or towards a green economy from recessions and the other blips that we have. If you look at what happened in the last recession, everything related to sustainability and the transition essentially came to a halt. That's not happening this time. There's money that's been put aside. That money is starting to flow. And as long as that money keeps flowing, we'll start to see the changes that we were expecting at the grassroots level. There'll be more jobs. There'll be more investments in opportunities that allow for fighting climate change. And that's something that I've seen happening in other parts of the world as well. There is an Emissions Reduction Act here in Canada, which is trying to do something similar to the Inflation Reduction Act. I think these policy instruments are so critical to make sure that the movement towards a green economy stays on the right track or a decarbonized economy. I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at it. I think that's the one big sort of piece to come out from this act for me. I think this is going to put the the sort of wind beneath the wings, so to say, and we'll be able to get through any other or any future recession or a blip that we see. As long as the money can keep flowing into the right projects, it allows us to keep moving in the right direction. Here in Southern California, we're kind of drought situation, as well as many parts of the country, many parts of the world. So there's a topic here, I think. Why is water the new carbon? I love that question. It's pretty close to my heart. The way I look at it is climate action has, or climate change has been top of mind because it could be more easily quantified, so to say. But really, it's a consequence of, of biodiversity loss. So is the case with water. And they overlap to such a large extent. And these are just two of the nine planetary boundaries. We need to look at the others as well. The bleaching of the corals, the knock-on effects of all of that, put water in the context of a country like India with 1.4 billion people and about a billion people living in the Ganges Plain, completely reliant on glaciers, which are dying out. Look at what happened in Pakistan. One third of the company was flooded, biblical floods. So if you look at water, the challenges, there's scarcity, and then in other places, there's abundance of water. Both of those can cause problems. It's the management of water where we have really fallen short. And that's the reason for the mega drought in California. We have that in Australia. If we can't get water to drink, imagine the socioeconomic impacts in a country like India. There's already water mafia. Water is starting to get more expensive than fuel in some cases. And then you layer on the climate impacts and all of these floods and situations. It's a nightmare scenario. So at FigBytes, we truly believe water has to be handled with the same urgency and criticality as climate, and they go hand in hand. And if we can allow organizations to manage these two impacts, that's where they can get a real good picture, at least on the E side of the ESG equation. I read on the website, there was an article, or I read somewhere where you commented, it was about, you heard scope three emissions tracking as optional. And I think you said, or here's why it's totally wrong not to have scope three options optional. That is right, Gary. And I'm so glad that we had that announcement from the ISSB, I think it was last week, that mm-hmm. is now going to make it mandatory. I just love that because I think too many organizations were slipping through the cracks because it was optional. 
when you have 80% of your impacts lying in the supply chain and a scope three impacts, it's a little ridiculous to be focused on scope one and two and just have all the initiatives for reduction there. There's of course a challenge with scope three, it is the lack of data, but as long as there's a concerted effort and we have now mandates that will drive companies to get with the act or get with the program, I think we'll start to see a change on them. There's a lot of tremendous new technologies coming up that will solve that scope three challenge. And then there's also the downstream challenge. So suppliers are the upstream, but there's also this downstream challenge with customers. I believe we need to solve both of them. And if we can focus on scope three, we'll start to see a lot of improvements happening in the overall fight against climate change. The circularity of the economy and things like that, I think that it has so much, as you said, the customer side as well as the supplier side, you start to build that circle if you can bring people along. And it seems like that it promotes collaboration rather than competition on certain aspects that will help. I don't know. I'm fascinated how it really takes a different mindset for business to operate, but where the commitment to ESG and sustainability becomes a belonging that we're all in, opposed to winning only. That is such a great thought. I don't remember exactly what the number is, but I believe we are taking seven and a half or eight times from the earth than we should be taking today. So essentially we are on borrowed time. We're using resources that were meant for future generations. And that's just not right. We have to figure out a way to keep everything in the cycle. We need to get into virtuous cycles where we reuse, recycle, and really get to zero waste. It's a big ask. We are very materialistic societies. It's gonna take a lot of thought and a lot of heavy lifting to get there. But we have to start moving in that direction. Yeah, you have to start. You have to start. And once you start, it can build the momentum and snowball. I also felt that we don't know what we don't know, (laughs) which is also something that, like when you were talking about Minnesota and how transparent they were as a government. Well, here in California, we've been very, people consider us progressive with a lot of our climate change and Uh, rules and regulations differ than a lot of other places in the country. And yet two days ago in the paper headlines that the wildfires have wiped out our entire gain that we had from all that we had been doing. We don't even know what we don't know as far as what's going to come up along the way. And that is, but If you're doing nothing, how far that can set you back? Absolutely, Roxanne. There are these mega events. I mean, there's no question about it. Extreme weather events are going to happen more and more frequently. We know that that's the reality we are going into now. Be those floods, be those forest fires. Hurricanes. Hurricanes, you name it. There's so many things that are happening there. I don't think our models really capture everything that can possibly happen, but the realization that we must do something and act with urgency, I can't believe we still have people who don't get it. I mean, that is also a reality and it's a sad reality. I just hope COP27 comes out with something better than COP26. I just look at the number, it's COP27. It's taken us 27 COPs 
to really not be able to fix it. And sometimes I have to wonder if, as human beings, are we capable of understanding the scale of this challenge? Because if you look at it, when was the last time humankind sort of came together to address a challenge together? It's probably the formation of the UN, and we all know how that's worked out on several fronts. So I think this needs this yeah. needs a great commitment from countries, from politicians, from enterprise. And I think there's going to be pain before it gets better. We have to be able to understand and sort of be able to take on that pain. I think there is no way around solving such a big problem. And that realization, unfortunately, doesn't happen because political timelines are five years out until the next election. And that sort of clouds longer term judgment. So right there, there's a disconnect between trying to find a long term solution with a short term approach. Yeah. Right. So we don't know what's always right around the corner. And we don't know what we don't know. But as the CEO of FigBytes, when you look out five, 10 years, what do you see? What do you see in the industry? What do you see in terms of your company and how you will be relevant in five years or 10 years? What are your thoughts around that? So let's take the industry first and the general environment. I think we'll have regulations that would have kicked in around the world. In several parts of the world, we've already seen that has happened. Western Europe or the EU is, is one. We've seen a legislation come out in India, which is really strict. Companies have to start reporting from the 1st of April next year. We've seen it happen in Hong Kong. And, and there's lots of other countries where this is happening. The SEC has laid the direction here in the US that's going to, you know, at some point, take some shape or form. I think what is going to happen five years out, Gary, is many of these legislations would have taken shape. And we would have seen a transition from optional approaches to now a compliance-based regime in many countries. And I like that because when compliance kicks in, Companies don't have an option. They have to take action. And if I hark back to the Sarbanes-Oxley time, that's exactly how it happened. Yeah. The ramp up was two to three years, and only the progressive companies were taking action. And then when the act hit overnight, there was just an explosion of demand and, and companies wanting to, to figure their way out around that. I think it's going to be something similar with our space. So given that, where does Figbytes fit in? We know that we built something really exciting, and that's on the back of the great logos that we picked up, list of who's who. And it's been labor of passion over the years to try and build a platform instead of a point solution. And we've seen the market has now reached a point where companies are wanting to do more than one thing, and therefore they want to buy a platform and not multiple technologies. We are being tracked by analyst groups, we are being tracked by publications out there and being included amongst the leading pack with some of the biggest companies, billion dollar companies out there. And that really gives me a kick. Having come from the military, the David versus Goliath story is a big one for me. We're going to keep on that path. We're going to keep our heads down. We're going to keep building good technology, putting out good innovations, solving challenges. That is paramount for us. And this is a big challenge. There's a lot of satisfaction doing it as well. Five years out, I think Figbytes is going to be a force to reckon with, far more than being an early stage growth company that it is now. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Anything else that you'd like to talk about that we haven't touched on? No, I think this has been a great conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed chatting with the both of you. Thank you. Thank Ted. you, Ted. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate your time. Yeah. 
Hope we can do it again. I really enjoyed it. I would love to do it again. Thank you. Terrific. Bye-bye. 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 Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Sustainable Minds wherever you get your podcasts. And please do live a review if you like what we're doing. It helps others discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. If you want to find out more about how we can help you evolve your corporate brand, culture, and ESG, head to bakerbrand.com. See you on the next episode of Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG.